Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. This is the show that takes a deep dive into the world of 80s cartoons and we look at a different episode of a different series each week. My name is Randy. I am your host on this journey and unfortunately I am a flying solo once again this week. Uh, but hopefully we'll have everything back to normal next week for you folks. But the show must go on. And of course, before we get into today's episode, let's uh, do some of the good old housekeeping here and let you know the Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast is a production of Geek World Order. Go to geekworldorder.com for all the latest, greatest geeky content. Convention photos, reports, uh, nerdy music videos, podcasts, great content coming at you. And uh, once again, thanks everyone for keeping up with the journey. Of course, this is the 10-year celebration of Geek World Order as we continue to bring you the latest, greatest geeky content. GeekWorldOrder.com, social media, of course, Facebook, you can look up Geek World Order, and Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast on their own Facebook pages, Twitter and Instagram, both at Geek World Order. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider. We're on all the major ones, iTunes. Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. It's all good. We're there. And of course, subscribe. Give us the like, the thumbs up, the heart react. Leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. You know what to do, folks. All right, so let's get into it. Today, we are taking a look at an episode of Robotech. And this is a series, it was another anime series that came to America in the form of one of our beloved 80s cartoons, being originally from Japan, the Macross series. And this was a series that I didn't discover until my teenage years. Uh, one of those situations where, once again, good old Toonami and their uh, anime blocks, man, really bring us some quality content. Um, this is where I saw stuff like Robotech... Um, of course, at that time, they also had Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Voltron, a lot of great content and really fun stuff. So this one, I did not watch as a kid, discovered later in life and absolutely loved it. Uh, but today we're taking a look at the first episode of the series and we open up, it is the year 1999. Earth is pretty much going through World War Three is just a insane global war at this time. You know, mankind is just fighting one another. But this is all going to very quickly change. Because we see a spaceship um, break through the hyperspace barrier and actually collides directly into the Earth. Uh, this would eventually become Macross Island in the South Pacific. Um, this ship came through, uh, when it crashed, there was devastating consequences. It created a very big aftershock, did a lot of damage. And of course there was a lot of questions going on, like so much so that the war that was raging across the earth, uh, they actually just called a ceasefire to all of it. So this was such a catastrophic event that it basically caused world peace and from there the global war is halted 
Uh, basically, nations begin working together to study this ship. And eventually, they end up reverse engineering the technology, which basically they call the Robotech Project. And of course, Macross Island springs up. And over the next 10 years or so, a very big population actually comes to this island. A whole civilization is set up, really based around this whole concept of robotechnology. And through this, they've basically re-engineered, they've refitted the ship. Uh, so basically, Earth is pretty much going to take to space in this giant ship created from the wreckage of this crashed alien ship. And eventually it is called, uh, the ship actually goes under the name of Super Dimension Fortress 1, or as we call, or as it called through the series, the SDF-1. Uh, so we, uh, so basically our episode really picks up as we get to the year 2009, we're 10 years later, and this ship is ready for its maiden voyage. Basically the city is celebrating, we see a limo pull up, it's the mayor, and the commander of the ship who is named Captain Henry Glovel. And at this point we get introduced to him. He's not a very happy man. He's not really one for the festivities. He kind of just wants to get to work and do his job. And the mayor's kind of like, um, going to need you to wave and be happy here for a minute. You know, it's a very, it's a beautiful day. We've got a space flight going. And we turn and we get introduced to several characters in the series. We get the the bridge crew of the SDF-1, including Lieutenant Commander Lisa Hayes. She's on the bridge. Uh, another bridge officer, Claudia, and the junior officers are kind of kind of talking and making fun of Lisa. Because uh, very early in the series, Lisa Hayes is definitely a uh, stick in the mud, shall we say. Very stuck up, very duty. Uh, she basically chastises Claudia for staying out late and having dinner with uh, Lieutenant Commander Roy Foker, who is one of the, another of the main characters of the series here. And, and basically, Claudia is like, uh, "Listen, girl, I am a grown ass woman. I'm gonna do what I want because I showed up and I still did my job. Because Claudia is a badass and she's awesome." Um, so yeah, at this point, we actually get a warning siren, and we are told an unidentified aircraft has entered the area. And this actually turns out to be a private plane, which is being flown by one Rick Hunter, who is actually pretty much the main character of this series, as we'll come to find out. And he is here at the personal invitation of Commander Foker who's actually his brother. And at this point, we actually see uh, Commander Foker as he several of the Robotech jets are sent out. And basically, we get a aerial display of the advanced robotechnology, including these jets that are made to... As we see, they'll have some insane capabilities. And... So basically at this point, Rick is 
uh, flying through, and he's basically flying in and out of the jets that are doing the formation. So at this point, uh, Roy is like, uh, wait, Rick, is that you? What are you doing up there? And yeah, no, Rick pretty much flies around the jets. He's flying in hot. And he pretty much lands. And so Rick lands. The brothers um, have a very awkward stare down here. So Roy's pretty mad. He thinks that Rick is pretty much just doing it to brag. And Rick is a insane pilot. You know, they have a little back and forth about, you know, that, you know, Rick's pretty much won the you know, won the amateur flying contest, which Rick reports that he's actually won it for eight years in a row. So Rick is actually a very hotshot pilot. He's very good, which as we see through the series, we'll understand his piloting abilities more and really what he brings to the series and the robot and the eventual Robotech Defense Force. Um, you know, and Rick's like, you know, hey, why haven't you come home? You know, we figured you'd have been home years ago. But really, Roy is like, dude, there's been a war on, you know. And Roy is basically one of the top military personnel. Um, basically, throughout the war, he's had 108 confirmed kills. So you can kind of see the dynamic between Rick and... And uh, Roy here, Rick, is, as of this point of the series, Rick is more peaceful. You know, he even asks his brother, wow, are you real? Are you proud of being a killer? He's like, and Roy's kind of like, dude, it was a war. You know, it's not like I wanted to do this. Um, but yeah, basically, Roy basically kind of decided he couldn't give it up. You know, he learned about the Robotech project and basically didn't want to give it up. He wanted to stay in the military, wanted to see what would, you know, where this project would go. And that's kind of where we stand with them. Uh, so we actually cut to space at this point where we see a number of alien ships coming out of hyperdrive uh, because they have actually been looking for this crash ship. And their suspicions are pretty much that they may have found an area where this ship is located. And we learn that these aliens are called the Zentradi. Um, so at this point, they, you know, they're looking for the ship. They actually send out a bunch of scouts to kind of verify if this ship is in the area. And as we cut back to Earth, uh, Roy is actually showing Rick one of the Veritech fighters jets and basically he's like you know hey get in i'll you know we'll go up in the air i'll let you fly up there with me oh this is going to be interesting uh so at this point the mayor is giving a speech he's letting us know it's such a great day everything is wonderful um captain global is pulled to the side because he's actually notified that well there is some unusual activity going on in space Oh boy, so of course, looks like things are starting to kind of get a little escalated here. We're getting some tension. So you know what that means. 
That's right, folks. It is commercial time. So we'll be back in just a moment after a few brief commercial messages. are coming, so you'd better beware. Free tie-in is battle pods are everywhere. But Rick Hunter and the Bear Attack are on their way. If you can get there fast enough, you'll save the day. We'll never stop the battle pods. Yeah, meet Rick Hunter. Attack fighter, battle pods, and action figures, each sold separately from Irwin. We but I'll be back. All right, and we are back. Uh, so at this point, we've learned that there are there's some strange activity coming from space. And so at this point, the station's defense systems are actually activated. And the main guns of the SDF-1, which are ginormous, by the way, just so you know, they pretty much start to activate. And no one seems to be able to stop it the entire bridge crew is panicking they're doing their best to try to you know shut down this weapon system but nope nothing happens so at this point the the guns actually fire um well and they pretty much assume this is a leftover defense technique from the ship that they reverse engineered to make the the sdf1 and we see the giant beam go through space and it t straight tears through several Zentradi ships like it cuts through these ships like a hot knife through butter like there is no stopping this thing uh so at this point they definitely know that the ship they're looking for is on earth and of course the armada heads that way uh so we go back to the command center of the sdf1 and basically, they're getting the data coming in. They realize, yeah, things are not good at this point. Uh, so basically, Global is laughing like a madman at this point. Like, he is just straight up losing his mind. Like, it's almost like this dude is having, like, PTSD almost. And he's like, I, 
Should have seen it coming. This should have been so obvious that this technology that we're that we reverse engineering would have some kind of booby trap or warning system. Because at this point, you know, they really don't know where it came from. Uh, so most likely this ship that they reverse engineered was probably some kind of a rebel Zentradi ship that kind of broke away from the fleet and was running away. So, of course, they'd set up booby traps, to, you know, if the Zentradi forces caught up to them. And this appears to be the case. Uh, so at this point, we actually go back to the space. You know, we go back to space. The Zentradi fleet has is coming closer to Earth. And there are a couple of um, basically platforms in space. And from here, we get an epic space battle. Like these two pretty large ships which pale in comparison to the SDF-1, but uh, basically these ships, they start firing weapons, they start sending out these Veritech fighters. Oh, man. And this is one of the places where the series really, really shines in the animation quality, of course, being 80s anime brought to America. Oh, dude, space battles are probably among the bread and butter of this show just from a visual standpoint a dude because we get the veritech fighters going out and we see them fighting and it's just missiles are launching everywhere oh man but this is insane but no the the zentradi forces basically tear through the earth forces like nothing like they take them out so quickly it's not even funny really the battle is just long enough for us to get a nice visual of what the battle scenes are going to look like in this series but as of right now the zentradi forces are wiping the floor with our forces it's insane So yeah, the Earth forces are taken out very quick. And at this point, Global's like, yeah, no. Unfortunately, we've been at peace for so long. We now have this force. War is imminent. Like, he pretty much realizes that war is going to happen. And it's going to happen very quickly. Uh, so we go to the Zentradi Command Center. And we learn the Zentradi Commander who goes by the name of Britai. Um, yeah, he's pretty much just laughing at how quickly this battle went. Uh, he goes on to say that the Microns are primitive, which is what they call the people of Earth at this time. Because, kind of fast-forwarding through the series a little bit, the Zentradi are ginormous. Um like they are at least probably like three times as tall as a human being like they are literal giants compared to humans which is basically why they call humans microns because we are so small in comparison to them 
Um, so yeah, we learn, we see our bad guys, and uh, the Zentradi are in just a warrior race. Probably what it think, what I how I think of the Zentradi are like kind of like the Jem'Hadar from Deep Space Nine, but with slightly more independence. Uh, they're able to think a little more for themselves, make more of their own independent decisions, but the society is very much more war-driven and kind of goal-oriented. So that's probably the best way to describe the Zentradi's fighting style is that they will definitely fight until the bitter end. So yeah, uh, we go back to Earth. Rick is still sitting in the Veritech fighter. Um, at this point, he's kind of taking a nap. Because he's just kind of waiting. So at this point, they are now actually scrambling the Earth fighters. Because at this point, the Zentradi forces have come through. They have overtaken. They're, they're basically coming, on, coming into Earth. And the forces that are on the ground are being told to scramble. So basically, and yeah, the SDF-1, they contact, you know, the jet that's on the ground and Rick's there. And like, you know, Lisa's like, um, pilot, what are you doing? Take off. And Rick's like, well, okay. Yeah, so he takes off and he actually cannot believe the power of this thing. <coughs> now, these jets are absolutely incredible. And he does have some close calls with a few Zentradi warriors. As to be expected, because he's never piloted one of these military vehicles before. But, as we see, he is a ace pilot. And eventually he catches up to uh, Roy's unit. He's like, Roy's like, ah, what are you doing out here? Rick is definitely covering himself, you know, and disguising the fact that he's basically having a panic attack. And Roy's like, you know what? This is really just like flying in the circus. Try to keep up. Yeah, and that's kind of a thing. Rick can be definitely a, a bit of a hothead, especially early in the series here. So, he, so yeah, he pretty much takes the challenge. I think about this point, um, the flight crew of the SDF-1 is realizing he's not a soldier. Uh, but at this point, you know, they start fighting, and Rick eventually gets hit. He starts going down, and they're like, well, switch to configuration B. He's like, what? Oh, no, this is where they realize he's not actually a Veritech pilot. So basically, they tell him what to do, and we seek the configuration B, which is sort of an in-between mode. Uh, because the Veritech fighters actually have the ability to transform into a full-on robotic warrior. Um, so basically, this kind of in-between form, uh, the legs of the robot extend out and the arms extend out. So it's literally a fighter jet with arms and legs. Uh, and at this point, Rick eventually goes through the full transformation. 
So we see the transformation sequence, and it's awesome. Because, let's face it, Japanese animation transformation sequences are always awesome, no matter what. And eventually he crash lands. Uh, he kind of takes a few minutes to realize, okay, what's going on here? Oh, I'm alive. Hey, I'm still alive. How did I do that? Uh, so yeah, he's in the Veritech fighter. He's pretty much looking out and going, wow, this is uh, insane. And he's actually just watching it from the ground on, you know, in the fighter. And this is where we actually leave the first episode on sort of this cliffhanger. And, and that's sort of how the series is going to take shape because that's sort of how it works. Uh, Robotech is a show that actually does something that a lot of 80s cartoons, like pretty much none of the US made shows do is this is this show is serialized. Basically, it has a story going from episode one all the way to the end. And of course, with US cartoons for the syndication, they typically make them one and done. You know, that because of syndication, you can show them basically any channel can show any episode, and it's very status quo. Not Robotech. I mean, even shows like Voltron that came over and some other animes still kind of fit that mold that, every, you know, outside of a few small things, the status quo was basically the same at the end of the episode. That's not the case with Robotech. With Robotech, there is an overarching story. You get things that, you know, you get character development, you get plot twists, things that change the narrative. People die in this show. Like, legit die. Like, you know, and it doesn't get covered up with the fact, you know, with, you know, with dubbed over lines of dialogue saying, oh, they're in a hospital or, oh, they're in a coma. No, people are sh straight shown getting murdered in this show. Like, this show shows that this is war there are catastrophic consequences the good guys lose they lose several times throughout the series and have to fight back main characters die like this is not a weak show at all and i think that's why i fell in love with this show when I first discovered it, because it was so different. It was so insane. And just when you start seeing stuff like that, you go, oh, wow, this show is serious. Of course, I didn't know this show was actually anime when it first started. So I didn't know about kind of how Japanese series are written compared to American series. Which nowadays, you know, going into 2020 here, the last decade or so, we've become more f popularizing as a television culture, the serialized sagas, especially in the Netflix generation. Um, you know, seasons are m now meant to be more overarching for the most part. 
because they're going to go to the streaming platforms. They're going to go to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and they're meant to be binge-watched. Basically, you know, these, you know, these platforms, they want you to spend hours and hours on their platform watching, you know, their programs because, well, that's how they make money. That's how their ads are structured. You know, they get more money the more minutes people view. So they want these shows that go, okay, let's, you know, here's episode one. It ends here. You have to watch episode two. And at this point in the 80s, like this was almost unheard of for cartoons, especially in America. Because at the t- at the time in the 80s, the syndication was the big thing. You know, make your X number of episodes that you can sell to these networks. You know, they'll play them in any old given order after school, on the weekends, whatever. They'll fill these blocks with time. And every time these shows aired, the, the studios that make them made money. And the more networks they sell... You know, the more money they're going to get because they're going to show more times. Like, for me, I legit wonder how much royalties, oh, I want to say CBS, was it? Like, how much does MASH still make in syndication? Because let's face it, there if you play it right, you could literally watch the show MASH 24 hours a day. Because it is on so many networks. And the way they've got these networks staggered. You could really pick any time of the day. Depending on where your favorite part of the series lies. And watch episodes from that time. Because that just seems to be one of the shows that really still hits the syndication market. Which is insane because of how the the streaming platforms work and how we want these binge-worthy TV shows that we want to get invested in. And it's just absolutely amazing how that works out. And really how that has evolved from the time that shows like this happen. Because in the 80s, the syndication was, you know, the almighty thing. That's how these studios made their money. Um, so really having a show that was serialized was counterproductive to syndication because it's like, oh, well, you really can't play these episodes out of order. Here's like, wait, you know, I watched this episode yesterday, like this character died, but now they're alive and well, um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. That's sort of how how TV was written for syndication and kind of how you had to wrap things up. But that's just sort of how the evolution of television media has changed in the writing style. Because even certain things like uh, Deep Space Nine, for example, was very serialized through its entire seven-year run. Now, there were certain times where 
you know, things would change the status quo. But even then, you can mostly watch episodes out of order, you know, unless you were. And then just mostly we know, OK, well, this character was only in these seasons, whatever. A little bit different. Really, the main issue with a show like DS9 is when you get to the final seasons where they're so interconnected, it's almost hard to watch them out of order, but you can. But Robotech really, for me, kind of took like, and I'm noticing it more now as an adult. I didn't even think about it as a kid. It's like, you know, if you missed an episode even during the syndication run, you're like, oh man, what I miss? I mean, luckily this show will, um, I know they even provided a small bit of narration at the beginning to kind of recap so that you would have an idea of what happened. But if you miss an episode, you're like, oh man, this is actually kind of disappointing. And, but that really is also good marketing. Because if you have a show that is good enough and you can invest in, it makes you want to come back. So you can actually take advantage of a more serialized format and long-term storytelling. You know, you don't have to, you know, you can show these things, you can have events, you can build up, you can really work towards a great crescendo and how the episode works kind of how the series evolves you know the long-term storytelling is great because you get more investment of a character there's a lot of times with most of your animated cartoons you'll have episodes where a character will learn a lesson but by the next episode it really doesn't seem like they've learned a thing and I think a great example of this is um, one of our earliest episodes. We talked about an episode of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers where Monty has a lot of difficulties adapting. You know, basically he realizes that his cheese addiction has almost gotten his team hurt. He actually swears off cheese and it becomes a big focal point of the episode. I mean, by the end of the episode, he really learns his lesson, but does he? Because really by the next episode, we're pretty much back to the cheese gags and, you know, the issues that that causes. Um, so it was sort of one of the problems of syndication as opposed to a streaming platform like Netflix or Hulu, where you can watch these episodes one after the other and the characters can actually grow and they can really do the things they need to and that's really the beautiful thing about how tv in general has evolved and become a different type of storytelling mechanism and i just find that absolutely fascinating which is just great you know as someone like me i enjoy tv i like movies but for me, I almost have to be in the right mind frame, you know, because sometimes like, all right, you know, if you want, it's sometimes it's hard to devote two, three hours to watch a movie, but okay, maybe, you know, if 
especially these 80s cartoons, once you factor out commercial time, they're like 20 minutes a pop. You could, you know, sit down two or three at a time. And even then kind of binge watching a series like, like I'll do with Transformers and just watch it start to finish. You're like, oh yeah, okay. It's start and stop, start and stop. Everything is self-contained. But when you try, when you watch a series like Robotech, it's sort of like, it's like the modern stuff we watch now. Stuff we watch in the Netflix area where one episode feeds into the next. And it's just, I think it's fantastic to see and kind of how through my life, we've sort of gone through these different generational shifts, shifts in storytelling. And that is just cool too, you know, see the evolution of animation and to be honest, Robotech's animation really holds up to this day. I mean, really a lot of anime from the eighties still holds up fairly well when you look at the quality of animation. But to go from, you know, see the storytelling and kind of the delivery format evolve has just been an incredible journey. And really, that's why I love to go back and revisit these shows to see how they hold up. And Robotech, I feel, really has a special place in cartoon history as kind of being one of those first series to kind of buck the syndication trend. Granted, it's sort of because of how the animation was already done and, you know, they were just kind of dubbing it to put it in English for the American audience. But I still just love that they took a risk on a show like that that you basically had to watch it order. But it was kind of that early marketing of like, hey... We have a different concept. You have to watch it. So to me, kind of taking that risk, finding a niche, just absolutely fantastic. And I applaud the studio for uh, for taking that risk and just giving us this absolutely classic cartoon series. This is definitely a high mark when it comes to 80s cartoons, dude. Um, and I've definitely enjoyed taking a this dive into Robotech. Definitely looking forward to looking at more episodes in the future. Uh, but I think I'll do it for this week's episode of the Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. Of course, check us out at geekworldorder.com. Facebook, look up both Geek World Order and Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. Twitter and Instagram at Geek World Order. And of course, check out all the social media platforms. Check out the pod, all the major podcast providers. Like, comment, subscribe. Give us that five-star rating. Give us a text review. Tell a friend, tell someone, you know, tell your enemies, you know, tell your enemies so they'll listen to our show out of spite. Honestly, we don't really care who you tell, just tell someone, get them to listen to us and, uh, that'll do it. And, uh, we'll see you next time.